0: Welcome to Hope for Life, a broadcast ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington, bringing you hope for life through the teaching of God's Word. Today, Pastor Lunsford is continuing his sermon series in the book of Hebrews. If you would like to follow along, you can open your Bible to the book of Hebrews, chapter 8.
1: of our young men, uh, Ben Bender, whose uh, dad uh, does the sound for us. For those of you that are new, uh, Ben is going to seminary in Southern California. And uh, uh, he most recently, for instance, was working with the high school ministry of the church. He he volunteers with the high school ministry of of, uh, Grace Church. Uh, John MacArthur is the pastor of that church, and that's where the seminary is. But during the summer, he's also going to school. He's taking a Greek class. It's basically all Greek all the time. So if you've ever prayed for anyone, I would suggest (laughs) praying for Ben Bender. Uh, You know, I I felt so good recently, I can't remember who it was, but I ran into one of my pastor colleagues and he had the same experience I did when he took Greek class, uh, not failing. No, that was not it. But uh, as he went through Greek, uh, he came to a point where he said to the teacher, do other languages have all these things, you know, like nouns and verbs and so on? And I came to that same point myself, and I said to the teacher, of course I knew about nouns and verbs, but I didn't know about some of the more uh, involved aspects of grammar. And I asked the teacher, do other languages have all these things? And I asked this, I made the mistake of asking right in class, You know, and everybody looked at me like, what turnip truck did you just fall off of? Of course, all languages have these things. My Greek teacher was a very nice, quiet uh, kind of man. He talked very quietly, uh, not quite kindergarten quiet, but on that same line. And when it came to the end of a a quarter, and we were gonna have a final test, he would take a few minutes at the end of class, and he would say, well, you might wanna look at this, You know, you might want to take a look at that, and so on. And what we came to find out was, if he says you might want to take a look at this, it will definitely be on the test in detail. Uh, He was very subtle at how he communicated with us. I I guess he didn't want to give away too much. He wanted us to study everything we had learned. He was very subtle in some of his communication, and some of us thick-headed folks needed a little more direct approach And I'm glad that God is not subtle in the way he communicates. As we come to Hebrews 8, God is going to get out uh, the bullhorn for those of us that are a little thick-headed. Look what he says right at the beginning of Hebrews 8. Now this is the main point. (laughs) Did you get that? This is the main point. God doesn't talk quietly and shuffle around and say, "Well, you might want to think about this or that." This is the main point of what we are of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. You know, when God says it's the main point, you might want to underline what comes right after that. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one, this high priest, also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things. As Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle, for he said, quote, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain, unquote. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry, inasmuch as he is also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. The main point, I take this to be the main point of Hebrews, of the book. He says, we have such a high priest. Now, in order to fully grasp this, you ought to go back and read chapters one through seven. We're not gonna do that today. That has been the subject of our preaching for some months. But part of what he is saying is, all of the things I've just been talking about, I am summing up, and all of the things I'm going to continue to talk about, this is the main point, this is the overarching theme, if you will. And I, I would understand the book of Hebrews to be demonstrating the superiority of Christ in every way, to everything, in particular to the Old Testament system of worship. He says here, we have the greatest high priest ever. Why? Number one, because of the work, because his work of sacrifice was complete and final. Look again at verse one, if you would. This is the main point of what we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heavens. There is significance to the fact that Jesus is seated in heaven. No Old Testament priest ever sat down in the temple because there wasn't a chair for one, but in particular because their work was never done. Turn back a few pages to Hebrews 1 verse 3. Now, if you really know your Old Testament, you might be saying, now wait a minute, Pastor Dave, there was a mercy seat in the temple. That was not for the priest to sit on. That was a picture of God sitting there, the mercy seat, the place where God would dispense mercy. Hebrews 1, verse 3. Who, this is talking about Jesus, being the brightness of God's glory and the express image of God's person and upholding all things by the word of His power, when He had by Himself purged our sins, He sat down at the right hand of the Majesty on high. When Jesus was on the cross, He came to a point where He said, It is finished. The work of salvation was finished. It was accomplished. That was never said after an Old Testament sacrifice. We're going to learn more about the reasons for that as we go through today and also in the weeks to come. The Old Testament sacrifices covered sin temporarily. The word atonement means to cover. I like the phrase put on hold. God put on hold the sins of the people in the Old Testament through their faith in him that was demonstrated by their sacrifices because, as we learn later in Hebrews, the blood of bulls and goats could never take away sin. God put their sin on hold, and they were allowed to be in paradise until Jesus died on the cross. And when he died on the cross, he said, it is finished. He completely, verse 3 of Hebrews 1 says, purged or washed away or got rid of our sin, and then he sat down. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians 2, verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the very form of God, that is, he had the outward manifestation of God in heaven, he did not consider it something to be grasped or clung to to have this outward manifestation of God, but he made himself of no reputation. He took on the form of a bond servant and came in the likeness of men. That is an extremely full way to say Jesus took on a human body when he came to this earth. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and in earth. Jesus was exalted in heaven because he was humbled on earth And he humbled himself and died to pay for our sin. That's why he is exalted in heaven. The work of salvation is finished and he can sit on the right hand of the throne of God. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 1, please. Just a few pages back. Ephesians 1 verse 20. We'll start in verse 19. Ephesians 1 19. Paul is praying for the Ephesians. He says, I pray that you will know what is the exceeding greatness of God's power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above. All principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in the age that is to come. And he has put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Here we are told that God gave him his exalted position in heaven, but he gave it to him after he finished the work of salvation. As we come back to Hebrews 8, we note again that Jesus is sitting at the right hand of the Father in the heavens because the work of salvation is done. The question for us today is, is our work of salvation done? Are you trying to earn something Jesus already paid for. The good news for you today is you don't need to try to earn it. The bad news is you can't earn it. But the good news is Jesus has paid for salvation for you through your faith in his finished work, you can join him in heaven. Jesus is seated in heaven because the work of salvation is done. Jesus is seated on the throne with God. The third reason that Jesus is the ultimate high priest is because he serves in the real sanctuary. And this is perhaps the the heart of this passage we are looking at today today. And a critical lesson for us to learn in understanding God's truth and applying it to our lives. Look again with me at Hebrews 8, verse 2. Jesus is a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer both sacrifices and gifts. Therefore, it's necessary for this one to have something to offer. Down to verse five. These earthly priests serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. It's a critical lesson you need to learn if you haven't yet in your Bible knowledge and that is this the Old Testament system of worship was to show a coming reality. In your notes that are in the bulletin that I gave you under point three I put two columns And these are the words from this text standing in comparison to each other. We're told that Jesus, on the one hand, serves as a high priest in the true, or the sanctuary and the true tabernacle, the tabernacle erected by God. He serves the heavenly things, he serves the pattern or the original. On the other hand, the Old Testament system of worship was in the tabernacle erected by man, it was the earthly things, which are called a copy and a shadow. Here's the summary of the truth that's here in the Old Testament. Back when God called his people out of Egypt, they came to Mount Sinai and and God said, Moses, come up to the top of Mount Sinai, I am going to tell you how I want you to worship me. And so Moses went to the top of Mount Sinai. And when he got there, one of the things he got was what it says right here in verse 5. God said, Moses, and this is a quote from the Old Testament, you could look it up. Moses, I'm going to show you a pattern. And I want you to make, take this pattern and duplicate it on earth. Now, one of the questions that the people who study this passage say is this, did God let Moses see the actual temple in heaven? Is there a literal temple in heaven? There is the presence of God, there is the place, the altar, we're going to read about some of that in a minute. Or did God draw a picture and say, Moses, see this, do that on earth. It would appear that in some fashion God allowed Moses to see the real thing or some parts of the real thing. He said, now go copy it on earth. The great point of this passage is the Old Testament tabernacle was a copy of the original. Okay, You say, well, Pastor Dave, what are you making such a big deal over? Well, hang in there for a minute. You're going to understand. The thing that you need to understand, first of all, is there are two places of worship, the original, real heavenly place and the earthly place that God established for a period of time. That place was called the tabernacle. Later on it became not just a movable tent with all of the furniture, but later on it became what we call the temple. But the layout was the same. The only difference was it was a permanent structure not a temporary structure. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter six and see the real Temple, The true temple, as God calls it. Isaiah chapter 6. We have a number of visions of God's true temple in heaven throughout the Bible. And we want to look briefly at some of them. Isaiah 6, verse 1. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord... Sitting on a throne, high and lifted up, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above it stood seraphim, that's a type of angel. Each one had six wings, with two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one cried to another, back and forth, saying, holy, holy, holy Turn with me all the way to the back of your Bible, please, to the book of Revelation. The last book in the Bible, Revelation chapter 4. We have a number of scenes of the heavenly throne room in the book of Revelation. Revelation 4, verse 1. After these things I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet, it was loud speaking with me, saying, Come up here, and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. And he who sat there was like a jasper and a sardis stone in appearance. He was beautiful as a precious stone. There was a rainbow around the throne in appearance like an emerald. Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting, clothed in white robes. That's us, folks. We can look at the rest of the scripture and demonstrate that to you. That is, the 24 elders represents the church, all believers, clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads. And from the throne proceeded lightnings, thunderings, voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne which are the seven spirits of God. Before the throne there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne and around the throne were four living creatures full of eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second living creature like a calf, the third living creature had a face like a man, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. The four living creatures, each had six wings, were full of eyes around and within, and they do not rest day or night, saying... Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who sits on the throne and worship Him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, For you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. I can't help but stop there, folks. You understand, both of those those worship uh, poems are songs that we sing. We're just preparing now for what we're going to do up there. Did you catch what happens? The foreign living creatures, verse 8, they do not rest Day or night, saying, "Holy, holy, holy!" And whenever they say, "Holy, holy, holy!" the twenty-four elders fall down and worship. So, wh- how much worship is going on in heaven, day and night? That's right. That's right. This is the true temple, the real temple. Go back with me, please, to Hebrews eight. God tells us that Jesus is the high priest of the sanctuary and true tabernacle, the earthly priests were priests over the copy and shadow. What is a shadow? Well, we've got some shadows right here. We've probably got some, there's a shadow right there. That shadow is there because some light is reflecting in a certain way. Is that shadow the same as the thing which makes the shadow? No, there's some wall at some angle that's making that shadow. They're shadows of the curtains. Those lines that go by ever so often, they're not the curtains, they're the shades. That's the reality, that's the shadow. The big deal here, folks, is this. This book of the Bible was originally given primarily to Jewish folks who had come out of the copy and shadow and believed in the true Christ of God. That was what God intended for all of the Old Testament saints. Anyone who was alive at the time of Christ, they would see Jesus and they go, Hey, this is the real deal. And they would believe in him and move into what we call New Testament Christianity. But there were people at that time, as there are people today, who look at the copy and shadow and go, Wow, isn't that cool? I know some real born-again folks who look at certain churches that are ritualistic. The pastor or priests wear robes. They have all kinds of ornate furniture and all kinds of beautiful things to look at and they wave the incense and they offer the sacrifice and people say, oh, I just love that atmosphere. Hey folks, It's a copy and a shadow. If I wanted to put blinds in my house, I wouldn't put those that are on the wall. And if I was trying to, you'd go, Pastor Dave lost his mind. I would take the real thing and put it in my house. Not those, because my wife would shoot me, of course. Jesus is the real high priest... Serving in the real temple in heaven, the earthly priests were God's servants to do a particular ministry for a particular time, as was the whole Old Testament system. There is no need to go back to any of the Old Testament ritualistic law. There is no spiritual value because it was a copy of and a shadow, not the real thing. The earthly temple was misunderstood by people then, as it probably is misunderstood by some people now. But Stephen, the martyr, when he was being stoned and for his Christian faith and for his preaching. I get stoned for my preaching too, but it's a different kind of thing, you know, once in a while. Uh, Stephen was being stoned. And he said, the Most High God does not dwell in temples. He's saying, don't you people get it? <laughs> this, is, this is wrong. The earthly tabernacle was not false, but incomplete. And it represented imperfectly its heavenly counterpart. It was just a shadow of the reality, or as one author says, A shadowy outline, a second-hand inferior reproduction. Here's the thing that may be real interesting in our understanding of this book. It would appear from the way this passage is written, in particular verse 4, verse 3 and 4, when it says every priest is appointed to offer gifts, and so on. The author of this scripture, by God's inspiration, is talking as though the earthly temple had not yet been destroyed. If you know your Bible history and your, and your history of the world, you know that in A.D. approximately A.D. 70, the Romans got tired of all of the revolts and uprising by the Jewish people in Israel, which Rome ruled that area, but they got tired of all of the revolts, and they squashed them flat by raising the city. That's R-A-Z, raising. They burned the city. They, they tore down the temple. If you're familiar with the wailing wall in Jerusalem today, that is one part of the temple wall that remains from that time period. One part of the wall that was not torn down, the rest of it torn down. Now think, of a, think with me about something. Let's say you're a Christian sitting in my church in A.D. 69. And I'm preaching the book of Hebrews saying, the earthly temple is a copy and shadow. The real temple's in heaven. Worship Jesus in heaven. Let this Old Testament system go. It's time to let go. And you're struggling with that. You're thinking, I want to stick with the one I can see. I, I like all of the ritual. I like taking my lamb. You know, our family's always gone to Sabbath with our little lamb. You know, it's just a wonderful thing, you know. Oh, yeah. Oh, you can hear people saying that. And the preacher's saying, no, let it go, let it go. But they decide, no, we're going back to the temple. And then one year later, what happens? The temple's torn down. The Jews are scattered. And now get this has the temple ever been rebuilt? Never. Have the Jewish sacrifices ever been reinstituted? Never. What would they have done if they had decided to go back? And probably some of them did. in a a year or in a very short period of time, it's gone forever. That might be one of the clues that helps us to understand that that it was a shadow and a copy, not the reality, because if it was the reality, wouldn't God have preserved it for us? But it's gone. Jesus serves in the true place of worship. That is the very presence of God. He is the greatest high priest because of that, and because of this last point, which is this. As a high priest, he lives to serve us. This is where it becomes personal, folks. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest. This priest who serves in the true temple, he is your priest. We have him. Verse 2 He is a minister of the sanctuary. He is a minister. That word is used uh, to categorize my job when I go for a loan to refinance my house, and they say, Well, what kind of work do you do? I, I usually say I'm a minister because most people grasp that. If I say pastor, you know, a minister. used to talk about a person who has this kind of a job. Here, this word being used of minister is a little different. It's not one that's used to talk about me. It's used to talk about Christ. It's a word that refers to public service. It was used of of people in the Greek culture who were like what we call the secretary of state. They were a minister of the state. Jesus is a public official serving others, if you will. He is a servant. John MacArthur wrote this, It is in Jesus that majesty and service are perfectly joined. This priest of the true tabernacle in heaven serves us. How does he serve us? First of all, his sacrifice makes our salvation possible. Jesus has served us through sacrificing himself for us. Romans 5.9 says, Having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. Jesus took his blood to heaven, and it is the final sacrifice. And God said, because of that, Dave Lunsford's sin can be washed away. What a wonderful thing. Secondly, Jesus' intercession makes our salvation permanent. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, There is one mediator, one go-between between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Isn't this the greatest thing? Gertrude Honrude, whose life we will celebrate tomorrow, and even more importantly, whose God we will celebrate tomorrow. Gertrude was a member of our church for many years. Gertrude didn't need her pastor to be present at the moment she died. Do you know why? Because Gertrude didn't need a pastor to get her to heaven. Jesus, her true pastor, (laughs) Her high priest in heaven is there as he is now for me making sure that I get there. I'm so glad it's him that's in charge of that, not me. I like to be in charge of a lot of stuff. But I do not want to be in charge of that. Isn't that the greatest thing? We have a real high priest talking to the Father interceding for us when Satan comes and accuses us and says, look at that sin he's doing. Jesus says, wait a minute, look at my blood that covers that sin. Jesus is there in heaven preparing a place for us. Man, i got to put a roof on my house. I wish I had the carpenter come help me with that. Ooh, roof. Wouldn't that be great? Can you imagine what he could build? For two, in 2,000 years, wow, he is making a place for me and he's gonna make sure I get there to live in that place. The third thing that Jesus does in serving us right now is this, his presence in heaven makes our sacrifice acceptable. Hebrews thirteen fifteen says this, by him, by Jesus, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise. Do you know why these fine musicians can lead us in song and we can sing praise songs and we can read the scripture and we can pray and the worship goes directly to God? It's because Jesus is our high priest there in heaven. His shed blood takes away our sin and our worship can go so straight to God. You don't need me, you don't need any other person to help you with that or to make it possible. We may lead in worship, but all of our worship goes directly to God. Wow, turn with me to Hebrews two. Of all the hideous things that I have heard about the Hussein boys, Ode and Kusei, one of the most arrogant things I have ever heard of any human being was that people were not allowed to look directly into their eyes. They obviously thought of themselves as the kings did generations ago. We read about it even in the book of Esther. When Esther the queen, Okay, she is the wife of the king. She couldn't even go to the king and say, hey king, what's happening? If she wanted to talk to him, she would send somebody in and say, would you tell the king I'd like to talk to him? And she would come in and fall down on her face and wait for him to either say, yes, come talk to me, or off with her head! What an arrogant thing for a human being to do, even if he is called a king. And these boys, these boys of Saddam Hussein lived that way. They didn't like people, they'd just kill them. Would you look with me at Hebrews 2.11? Let's start at verse 10. For it was fitting for Jesus, for whom are all things, and by whom are all things. That is, God made everything for him and he actually holds things together in bringing many sons to glory, that's us. God made the captain of their salvation, Jesus, perfect through suffering. For both he who sanctifies, that's Jesus, and those who are being sanctified are all of one, for which reason he is not ashamed to call them brethren. Can you imagine this high priest who personally paid for the sins of the world and took his blood to heaven and offered it in the real temple and was given the right by God to sit on the right hand of the throne of majesty and he sits there and he intercedes for us and he protects us. That person says, you're my brother. He says, look into my eyes. He says, We're together. The King Priest calls us his brothers. Heavenly Father, help us to realize what a great privilege we have in Jesus. Thank you that he calls us his brothers. Lord, we don't deserve that from you. We we were your enemies because of our sin. And even in our we continue to make wrong choices. Oh, Jesus, thank you for saving us and loving us and continuing to cover our sin with your blood. Help us to worship you, the true high priest, in the true temple in heaven. I pray in Christ's name, amen.
0: Thank you for listening to Hope for Life, the broadcast teaching ministry of the First Baptist Church of Ferndale, Washington. You can learn more about our ministry on the Internet at www.ferndalebaptist.com or you can contact us by mail at First Baptist Church, P.O. Box 69, Ferndale, Washington, 98248. Telephone 360 384 3111 We invite you to join us for worship Sunday mornings at 10:45 a.m. Our prayer is that God's word will give you hope for life.